songs are a brilliant way to transmit ideas, and ideas are the most powerful stuff on the planet. It's a lifting thing, man. Music lifts people up. Just the same way war drags us down and brings out the worst in humanity, music lifts us up and brings out the best. That's David Crosby. I'm Michael Sokol, and this is Same Wavelength, a platform where I have conversations with artists about the relationship between their creative work and our current political moment. Same Wavelength is a place where artists speak their truths. As I said, my name is Michael Sokol. Hey, Michael. Good morning, Michael. Hi, Michael. Hey, Michael. I'm a former radio DJ who wanted to start a platform where I could have open conversations with creative folks discussing how they're processing what's going on right now politically, and talk with artists about how they choose to use their platforms during these confusing and isolating times. David Crosby is my guest on this episode, the eighth episode of Same Wavelength. Hi, this is David Crosby. David Crosby is a founding member of both The Birds and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. He and his music are considered hugely influential emblems of 1960s and 70s counterculture, He's been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame two times, once for his work with The Birds and once for his work with Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. In Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Records of All Time, there are five records on that list that Crosby was a part of, including Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young's Deja Vu record, which contains his song Almost Cut My Hair. There's a new documentary about David Crosby produced by Cameron Crowe. It's called Remember My Name. David and I talked over the phone last summer in June of 2018 and we talk about how he approaches his job as a performer in a very divided country, and we discuss the inspiration behind his sudden burst of creative output. After a 20-year hiatus, he's released four records since the beginning of 2014. His most recent, which hadn't come out yet at the time we talked, is called Here If You Listen. Anything mentioned throughout the conversation, you can find all that listed in the show notes for this episode at samewavelengthpodcast.com. Here's my conversation with David Crosby on Same Wavelength, and thank you so much for listening. Hello, David Crosby. Hello, Michael Sokol. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Uh, elderly, but pretty happy. Well, you sound <laughs> you sound great. Thank you so much for some of your time today. I'm uh, really grateful to you for that, and it's like to, to chat with you for a little bit today. I uh, appreciate it, man. David Crosby, since the mid-60s, you've been politically outspoken, been never shy uh, about weaving politics into your songwriting, and uh, how does the current administration change your job right now as a songwriter and performer? Uh, it doesn't change my job at all, but it certainly gives me a lot of targets. Holy yikes. You know, uh, this country's so polarized now. You know, first I was like, this son of a bitch. I was just like, couldn't believe what an asshole our president was, racist obviously misogynist, bad guy, about an eight-year-old, bad behaved. And I would just go off on him every night. And then I realized, you know, everybody's going off on everybody every night. Mm. And I started thinking, you know, I don't really want to be a part of that. So what I've been doing lately is trying to celebrate the country. I believe in the country. I believe in the democracy. I believe in the Constitution, Bill of Rights, all that stuff really strongly. I think it's the best design for people to live together I've run into. So I try to celebrate that, the celebration of the idea of America. I know we don't have a democracy right now. We've got a corporatocracy. But the idea is still the best one. 
I'm just looking for a way to go forward with it to fix it and make it better. Does it feel like through your music you can you can do that? You always can. Music is a great way to transmit ideas. That's a fact. It's a lifting thing, man. Music lifts people up. Yeah. It's a lifting force. It's it's just the same way war drags us down and brings out the, the worst in humanity. Music lifts us up and brings out the best. Yeah. Well, I do love the idea of kind of refocusing the attention to be a more positive output, you know, rather I, I couldn't help myself, man. It, it, it's getting so, I mean, it, God knows the guy is presenting us with a gigantic target. He's got a gigantic target pasted on his nose and he put it there. But I don't think that helps. I don't think, you know, everybody can see what an asshole he is. I don't think they need me to tell them. And I don't want to add to the toxic atmosphere. I think I want to concentrate on the good stuff for now because there's enough people pointing out the bad stuff. And it seems like a pretty intentional tactic of this administration to pit each of us against each other because that allows them to, you know, when we're all fighting against each ourselves, they're doing a lot of other stuff. So it seems um, like they want us to be yelling and screaming at each other. Um, yes, they do. It's an old, old tactic. Uh, it's been used by dictators and demagogues and you know, bad people forever divide and conquer. Uh, if you can keep us at each other's throats, then we don't notice that they're stealing the baby while we're while we're you know drinking the bathwater. It's like they are doing it on purpose, and it is an old technique, and everybody should know that. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So, I mean, you started by saying it doesn't really change your job. Um, is that because you don't feel like it's necessarily the responsibility of the artist to be? Um taking on these issues? Or, or... I think it's because it is part of our job. I think it's always part of our job. I don't think it's the main thing we're supposed to do. I think our main job, musician, is to entertain you, to make you boogie, to take you on little emotional voyages. Uh, I think part of our job comes to us from our history, the Middle Ages, uh, the, the, the troubadours. Uh, which came to us through folk music. Uh, that's that's part of our job, to carry the news, uh, be be like the town crier. It's 12 o'clock and all's well, or it's 12 o'clock and there's an idiot running the country and we're in trouble. Uh, I think that's part of our job, not, not all of our job, and I don't want to do that all the time because I don't want to be a preacher. I want to be, you know, a musician. Um, but... I do think every once in a while it is part of our job. I think when we saw Kent State, we really didn't have any choice but to write Ohio and sing it. Mm. You know, that, that's like, I think we were doing our, our, our job. I do, I'm really curious about kind of the, the differences and parallels between now and how things were 40, 50 years ago. And we look back on the 60s as a time when, you know, music played such a major role in the counterculture and in the protest movement. I mean, that's, that's accurate, right? Yes, it's absolutely accurate. And I think, I think the situation is getting so bad that it's going to engender that kind of artistic reaction. Uh, again, that's, that's exactly what I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I hope so. I do wonder, I mean, because there are so many more ways that we take in information now and the way we hear music is so much more splintered um, and varied and, you know, and there's so many options for us. Does, do you think that changes the power that a song can have now versus how it may be uh, the power it may no, have? No, not really. No, the songs are a brilliant way to transmit ideas 
and ideas are the most powerful stuff on the planet. Uh, all of the all of the internet and all of the different ways of delivering music now uh, don't change that a bit. Uh, songs are powerful. Ideas are the most powerful things on the planet. Yeah. So. Well, you've had quite a productive last couple of years. It seems like the creative juices are really flowing for you. And on this last record, Sky Trails, that came out last year, there's a couple, uh, you know, political-minded songs, Sell, Sell Me a Diamond. Oh, yeah. Sell Me a Diamond is really about... Uh, the idea of being conflict-free. You know, I realized when somebody said the words conflict-free to me, yeah. I've never I've never seen what conflict-free is like. Wow. I've never, yeah. in my 76 years, there has always been a war going somewhere, every single minute. And and that's not okay with me. Yeah. Um, oh, and by the way, that isn't the last album. I've made another one since then. You did? <laughs> yes. Is it out? <laughs> No, it's coming up this oh, Okay, so you're just got, you're just banging them out. I got back in the studio. I got put back in the studio with the Lighthouse Band with Mike League yeah. and uh, Becca Stevens and Michelle, who's in both bands. Cool. And uh, we made another record. It's done. Uh, it's coming out this fall. And uh, this one's a group record. It's not a solo album. It's a, a group record by Lighthouse Band, and I think it's going to shock people. Cool. I don't think they have any idea who I actually teamed up with and how good they are. Wow! And so they're about to find out. Awesome. What is what's different about it, or what what was kind of different in your uh, well process? Group record means that all four of us wrote, all four of us sang lead, all four of us produced, all four of us, you know, influenced it equally. And so you get to find out a whole lot more about Michelle Willis and Becca Stevens and Michael Leake, and they're incredible. What wow. we made is one of the best records of my life. Can you attribute this like? You know, uh, yes, I can. Sudden, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> yes, I can. Here's what happened. What's then. going on? <laughs> well, okay. So I was in CSN for what I don't know, forty years, long fucking time. Yeah. And uh, and it started out. We liked each other a lot. We were doing really good work, and it was wonderful. Uh, it devolved over a long period of time into turn on the smoke machine and play your hits, and that's of course not good enough. Hmm. And also, we didn't like each other at all. Uh, them particularly, uh, they don't like me either of them uh, at all. And so, you know, that's really, you know, not fun. Yeah. And um, so I, I could not bring new songs to them. It wasn't a welcoming environment, and they weren't, you know, into that kind of music anyway. And so I had built up a, a couple of songs, uh, and also... What happened really is I got, I, I've been so lucky in the other people that I get to work with. My son James, man, is just an incredibly talented guy. And he produced the, the Cross album and he produced the Sky Trails record. And we're, we're going to make another one this, this coming year. So that, when we finish that one, it'll be five and five years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, and the songs are so, just, you're, I mean, you're just, you're writing a lot, you're feeling inspired. Well, I'm writing with other people and by myself. And the the thing when you write with other people, I don't know why other people don't do it more, I guess, because they want to, both sides of the publishing or they want the credit or they can't work it out to talk to somebody. I don't know. Yeah. But I know that the other person always thinks of something you didn't. Yeah, totally. And if you pick great people, which I have, I've been incredibly lucky to, to get to work with the people I'm working with. And 
we just write great stuff, man. And I, I'm really probably the luckiest human being you've ever met in your life. No, I, I, I'm in two fantastic bands, both of which really, really actually I have to sort of paddle faster to keep up. They, they make me work really hard, these two bands. Just to try to uh, you know stay with them because these are young people, man. They're cooking. Yeah, I I know exactly what you mean. I'm I'm in a band. We've actually I've been in a band with uh, two other guys since we were in middle school, more or less. Um, and now I'm almost thirty, and we're still we're across the country, but we're still managing to to make music together. And the you're right. It is the the it's bigger than the sum of its parts. You know, with me That's and then these other That's two it. people, you got it. We make There's more a- than any three of us individually could ever, ever dream of because we bring so many different things to the table, and it's so exciting. Um, That's exactly it. Greater than the sum of its parts. That's it, because there's a multiplication of effort that takes place, and the whole becomes greater than the right. sum of the in parts. Right, in the various influences. I'm, I'm, you're very, very smart to understand that. A lot of people don't get it, but it is the truth. Yeah. David Crosby, could you share with me a moment, maybe recently, where you kind of we're humbled or are you kind of uh, we're reminded of your, you know, maybe just your, your smallness in this universe. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, the last time I laid on my back and looked up at the clear sky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when was that? <laughs> oh, all the time. I, I do that pretty regularly. I'm my son and I, Django and I are both kind of star freaks. Yeah. We, we look at the sky quite a bit. You have a son named Django? Like I have a, a, a son named Django. Yeah, he's a wonderful, wonderful. Boy. I love that. I, I fantasize about maybe having a child named Django one day. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's honestly been. I, I didn't I realize that. Gonna, I thought about Miles. I thought about Train. But Django, I, you know, I just couldn't call him Bill or Fred. Sure. Like, what about had to be? What about Mingus? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no. It's a good name. Maybe I mean, for a cat. Good, maybe a for a guy, cat. But no, right. it's not a, good, not a good name. Yeah. Well, actually, so I was, I've, uh, one thing I've been like super into the last couple year or so, I've been really digging into a lot of John Coltrane and Miles and, you know, learning about Eric Dolphy and Booker Little and, you know, Mingus, of course. And it was cool to kind of discover um, something that I probably knew innately but didn't realize how influenced you were by jazz throughout your career. Um, which mm-hmm. was kind of, you know, was sort of uh, affirming for me. So yeah, I mean, th- you've you've always drawn inspiration from those guys. Is that is that correct? I have, and you know, I love those soloists. I think they're, you know, they were fantastic. And of course, I love Miles. He cut one of my songs, so I, uh, that was a an honor. Guinevere, right? Yeah, yeah. but uh, but I, I I'm was always thrilled by the keyboard players, the jazz keyboard players. Ah, McCoy Tyner and... played. Yeah, they play these to- these almost tone clusters, the big, dense chords. And they're the ones that made me want to do tunings on the guitar because they do chords that I can't play in regular tuning. But I can get some of them in strange tunings. I can get much closer. And that uh, that's had a wonderful influence on me. They, they, they pushed me to do something that's really helped me a lot. Yeah. Is it true that Miles, did he personally play you the recording of Guinevere? Yes, he did. How, can, can you tell that story? Uh, it's an embarrassing story because I didn't like it the first time I heard it. What? Well, how uh, come? I just it, I was hoping it would be a lot closer than I thought it was going to be, and I just didn't really listen to it very well. I didn't understand it, but I I'm stoked that he did it. You know, Miles has a history with us. Most people have never heard this story, but yeah. Miles is the reason that the birds got signed to Columbia. Really? Yes, he was on Columbia, and when we gave them our demo, they didn't know what the 
fuck to do with it. There were a bunch of shoe salesmen who had no fucking clue what their music was. Uh, and and they asked Miles. They said, Miles, what is this? What do we do? He said, sign him. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. So when he played you Guinevere, you you were you were less than grateful. Yeah, I was less than grateful. But we worked that out later. That's awesome. Uh, he's he's a wonderful cat. I, I like a lot of, of you know, different people in jazz, uh, but the influence is, you know, you can't help it. I like complex music, and that's where it comes from. Yeah. So, so David Crosby, I've been uh, I've been growing out my hair for two years. Um, do you think I should cut it? No. <laughs> How come? Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It, back then, it was a, it was a symbol of defiance. Yeah. Back then, it was I am not like you. I don't think like you. I've got a different set of values, and I don't look like you. That's how people will know I don't act like you. Uh, and so, it was more important back then. That's why I wrote the song. But uh, now, uh, I don't care if your hair is long, short, or gone. <laughs> I care how you act. I Thank care you. What you what you do. You know, I care what you... You know how I judge people, man? How? Okay, three things first. Yeah. What have you done to make anything better? Mm. What have you created? And who have you helped? Those are... Oh, yeah. yeah, man. That's a good, that's, ru- good that's rubric. A, that's a tough review. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. I, You know, I think... Yeah, this idea of... as I, Both as I get older and knowing where we are right now as a country... It's becoming so much more clear to me how important accountability is, which is more or less what you just outlined. Is like, how do we hold each other accountable to be better? Well, it's hard to hold people accountable, but you can. The only way you can in, affect anybody else's behavior, man, it's by setting an example. Leading by example, exactly. That's the only one that works. I agree. You can preach to people all fucking day, but that doesn't do it. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah. an example, that'll do it. Right. I saw Martin Luther King walk from Delma to Montgomery, and I said, I want to be like that man. I watched the Dalai Lama speak, and I said, I want to be like that man. Yeah. I watched Muhammad Ali stand up to the U.S. government and say, no, I I don't have no beef with those Vietnamese farmers, and you can't make me go kill them. And I said, I want to be like that man. Good role models. That's where the rubber meets the road. Totally. Right. We can't hold others accountable unless we start by holding ourselves accountable. Exactly. That's where we can really do it. Yeah. We set an example. If we, if you, you know, behave like a good human being, it it does help to get out in the street for what you believe in. The demonstrations do count. Uh, I was so happy about the, the women's march. I practically freaked out. Yeah. And and the same for the for the 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 kids and the the March for Our Lives kids, they're doing a wonderful thing. Yeah, and they mean it, and they're I'm really proud of them. It's yeah, it it is uh, it's inspiring, and I, I yeah, young young people are certainly inspiring me. Absolutely, I mean, it's one of the most inspiring parts of human beings when they stick up for what they believe in. When you see people, uh, you know, stand up and fight, stand up and, and and take a stand for what they really believe in. When you see Martin Luther King march from Selma to Montgomery with rifles in the bushes and people wanting to kill him, and, and him just standing up and saying, I'm going to do what's right, and he did. When you see that in a human being, when you see that in a Gandhi or a King or a God knows, and your your mother when she goes out for the Women's March, you you... 
have to respect that in a human being when Absolutely. they stand up for what they believe in. Yeah. And it seems like we're seeing that now maybe more than we did in the last, you know, maybe a couple decades. Yeah. I think it's a terrible situation. It's a terrible government. I mean, a really egregiously terrible government. And so, yeah, it's going to get that kind of reaction. Do you think fighting, I mean, do, are you hopeful at all for the future? I mean, do you think protesting I, I can have, be... You know, I got asked that last night, and it was a brilliant question. I got asked, you know, I get asked everything on Twitter, but, but I got asked that one last night, and I, I, I had to step back for a minute and think about it. Am I, am I still able to be hopeful? It's hard. It's an uphill battle to be hopeful in the face of this. But I don't, I kind of think that has to be my default setting. I have to be... I have to believe that I can do something to, to, I have to believe that I can make it better. I just have to. I can't accept defeat. Because yeah. those people in Washington are, are dragging us down into a cesspool. And I can't, I love this country. I'm not willing to let that happen without a fight. Hmm. You know, there isn't any way, other way to do this than for us to stick up for what we believe in and fight for it. Uh, so I don't think it's going to be easy, but I do think we can survive this guy, and I do think that democracy is stronger than this. I think it will. I believe in our democracy still completely. How important is it for artists to be speaking out right now? Uh, terribly important. Yeah. You know, anybody that doesn't doesn't have a conscience. Yeah, let's keep making art. Keep, yes. r- keep writing songs. I'm doing it. I've already made another record, man. You're going to knock your socks off. I can't wait to hear it. I know. My band's releasing a new record soon, too. So we just got to keep doing it, man. uh, Yes, man, we do. David, thank you so much, man. Thank you for the help. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you so much to David Crosby for his time. Anything that's referenced throughout this conversation, you can find all that listed in the show notes for this episode at samewavelengthpodcast.com. And for what it's worth, since this was recorded, I did, in fact, cut my hair. If you're not already subscribed to the podcast, please do that. If you can rate it and review it, that really helps me reach more folks and get the word out about Same Wavelength. Also, if you uh, have friends who you think might enjoy the podcast, please share it with them. Make sure you're following the podcast on social media, on Instagram at Same Wavelength Podcast, and on Twitter, Same Wave Pod. This conversation was edited for brevity and clarity, though I made a sincere effort to retain David's words and ideas in their most honest form. The theme music that you're hearing right now and that you heard at the beginning of this episode is an instrumental version of a song by my band Bunk called Turn the World Around. It's from the record that I mentioned to David that we were working on. Thank you so much to my bandmates Brett and Dave for being cool with me using this song as the theme for the podcast. On the next episode of Same Wavelength, Archie Shep. The fact that somehow we have the notion that the arts aren't important today. We can dismiss art as something rhetorical, music, dance, literature, and theater. This is the stuff of life. It accommodates our whole political, humanistic debate. The next episode with Archie Shep will be the last episode of season one of Same Wavelength. I'm going to take a little time off so I can start developing season two of the podcast. I'm Michael Sokol. Thank you so much for listening to Same Wavelength. Be good to yourself and be good to those around you.
If you could say something to Trump, what would it be? Oh, God. We can't. We, I can't use that many swear words. <laughs> <laughs>